Hey, uh, welcome to Maple Grove, and uh, today is Labor Day Sunday 2019. And, and I want to unpack not only a powerful, but a life and community impacting truth about your work and, and your calling. I, I want to read some scriptures first, and I thought that we would, um, would all stand up and read them together. So if you guys would just stand. Sometimes we do this really smooth. So we can do um, uh, on three, one, two, three. celebrated in our country since the 19th century and uh, anybody know who that lady is Rosie, Rosie the Riveter right uh, she's a cultural icon from World War II uh, representing all, all the women who uh, worked in the factories and the shipyards during the war because the men went off to war and the women went to the factories to build ships and munitions and she just became a cultural icon uh, not an actual person but there were thousands thousands of Rosie the Riveters. Um, here's some facts about Labor Day. Um, it's first celebrated in New York City in 1882 when 10,000 rival union leaders joined forces to protest the unfair labor practices that were going on. In 1894, uh, Congress made the first Monday in September an official holiday. Anybody who was the president in 1894? Grover Cleveland. He's the only president to serve two terms, but they weren't consecutive terms. He was the 22nd president and the 24th president. I didn't really know that until recently. Uh, Labor Day gets the third favorite holiday of Americans, right behind Memorial Day, and number one would be, what do you think? Christmas. 25% of Americans travel on Labor Day, uh, and 90% by car, 10% by air. Uh, the fifth most popular place to go is Chicago, followed by number four, Orlando, then L.A., number two, Las Vegas. Number one place to go is, what do you think? New York City. Uh, Labor Day also uh, marks the end of the hot dog eating season, uh, which it actually is what it runs from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Uh, during that period of time, Americans eat 818 hot dogs every second for a total of 7 billion hot dogs. That's crazy. 102 million Americans will have a cookout. The first Waffle House opened up on Labor Day. This, this is stuff you need to know, right? 1955. Um, and, and interestingly, in Virginia, I don't know if you know, there was a King's Dominion law uh, that didn't allow, basically, if you're east of 95, you cannot start school till after Labor Day. So 44 of the 133 school districts, but the law has changed, and if you make it a four-day weekend instead, now you can uh, start school for Labor Day. Students rejoice in that. And my favorite thing, in fact, I found out this week, 
was that yesterday, I didn't celebrate it, uh, but uh, Labor Day weekend Saturday is uh, International Bacon Day. Aww. And the motto is, bacon is a vegetable. <laughs> yes, eat your vegetables. May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I understand what you do, 40 plus hours every week matters. And, and, and let's pause for a second. That, you know, as we talk about work today, uh, uh, students, these principles apply to you, uh, your teachers, your boss, other students are your coworkers. It also applies to those who, who work at home. Therefore, it applies to just about everybody in the room. And the question is, you, do you feel that what you do during the week really matters? And it's important that you do because when you feel like your work really matters, you'll have a sense of dignity, destiny, and purpose about your work, no matter what that job is. And you'll have an inner motivation to be distinctive, to excel, to rise above mediocrity. On the other hand, if you feel like your work doesn't matter, you won't have any motivation to be distinctive. You'll have no sense of purpose. You'll find it much easier to make compromise in your job Hey, it doesn't really matter if I work hard. It doesn't matter if I if I show up on time. It doesn't matter if I call out even when I'm not sick. It's only a job, and they should be paying me more anyhow, right? But here's the deal. Here's the truth. I want all of us to see this morning, 9119. I want you to see the divine connection. There's this divine connection between your work and your calling. And my goal is simple. I want to convince you of that and then send you out the doors today with renewed passion and vigor about your job. And the way I want to attack our study, I just want to unpack two statements. Uh, your work is image. Your calling is mission. We read in Genesis chapter 1 that God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, understand, from the opening pages of scripture, it's obvious that our God is a worker. That he's a God who's busy, a God who's on the move. The psalmist writes, he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. In the beginning, God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth, the sky, water, land, trees, mountains, sun, moon, stars, rivers, mountains, man, animals. I mean, none of what we see existed and God spoke and it was. Think about that for a moment. Like, seriously, think about it. Psalm 33, verse 6 says this. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. Just breathe out for a second. By the breath of God's mouth, he created stars. Now, the biggest star that we know is B.Y. Canis Majoris, which is about 2,000 times wider than the sun. Like 9.3 billion suns would fit inside of this star. The sun is about a million times larger than the earth. So B.Y. 
could hold seven million billion or seven quadrillion Earths. Can you say big? <laughs> Another comparison, like if you, if you were in a jet flying at 550 miles per hour, you get around the Earth in about 24 hours, you could fly around the sun in seven months, it would take you 1,100 years to fly around this star. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. What a mighty, powerful, indescribable God we serve. Amen? Amen. It's crazy. I mean, like, if what we believe is true, that's really nuts, right? That the God who brings out stars like that, that's who we're worshiping. Uh, that's whose word that we're leaning into this morning. In Genesis 2, 2, we read by the... Seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And the Lord blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Our God is a worker. David writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. What a beautiful work. He writes, how many are your works? O Lord, in wisdom you make them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Psalm 111, 2. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Who's like to ponder? Man. You walk early in the morning and you see the sky lit up with all these colors and just think, my dad, my heavenly father created that. Didn't have to make it so pretty. Didn't have to wake us up to so much beauty with the cool breeze and the beautiful sky and the birds singing, but he chose to do just that. God is a worker. According to Genesis, we are made in his image. Therefore, we are to be workers. Being a worker is part of our DNA. And that's why right after God created Adam, we read this. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Right? He didn't take him to Disney World. Right? He put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And when God wore flesh and walked the earth, he was what? He was a worker. I mean, for 30 years, Jesus had calloused hands as he worked as a carpenter with his dad. And in John 6, we see, John 5, we see that he worked like his heavenly father. Jesus said to them, my father's always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. In John 4, 34, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Now, before we move on to talking about uh, your calling, his mission, I want to talk about two really important things uh, about God the Father and Jesus, our Lord and Savior, about their work, their work ethic, their work habits. Number one, uh, they finished their work. Did you notice that? By the seventh day, God had finished the work. Jesus said, my food is to finish the work. You know, there were no car on the blocks, no jobs half done for our God, right? I mean, they completed their work. They followed through. They didn't quit. They didn't walk away. They didn't leave undone what they had started. And I think that's a really powerful work ethic for you and I to embrace in our lives. Both our work lives in the church and outside the church. To finish, to finish it, to complete it, to follow through, to do what we said we were going to do. Question, is there some work that that you've left unfinished, that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind right now. And they also rested. 
God rested on the seventh day. And he, he wasn't like physically worn out and exhausted like you and I are sometimes. He did it to model for us the need for period, a regular period of rest. And guess who else rested? Jesus rested, right? He, I think he's pretty busy. I, I think I think I would contend that he was, probably had a his agenda was bigger and more important than ours. Um, his calendar was jam-packed. His inbox was always overflowing. And yet we read in Mark six thirty-one that because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. Ever been there? He said to them, "Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest." And maybe that's what God wants to say to someone here this morning. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Are there any work addicts out there? It's easy to fall into, right? One more evening at the office, one more hour before we go home, one more shift of overtime, one more load of laundry, one more phone call, one more email to respond to, one more project. I mean, it can get to the point where we even feel guilty if we relax or we even forget how to relax. But understand, when you burn the candle at both ends, you are not as bright as you think you are. Turn to the person you're not reading so much fun. You are not as bright as you think you are. Raise your hand if you want to say that to your neighbor right now. If you're married, do not raise your hand. God says, I want you to rest. David, another busy guy, said this. He said, he makes me lie down. He, see, sheep aren't smart enough to rest on their own. They got they, The shepherd has to make them lie down. And if we're not smart enough to get rest on our own, our body will make us do it. See, God has wired our body in such a way that if we do not take the time off, our body will make us take the time off. Anybody want to give a testimony to that? We just keep working and working and working. We're going to get sick. We're going to get tired. We're going to get worn out. We're going to drop our immune system. Because God has wired us up to obey his commandments. And getting enough rest is essential also to overcoming stress. And I've said this before, but sometimes the most obedient thing that we could ever do is to go home and take an NAP, right? Take a nap. Yeah. Tomorrow could be great day to go out and do a bunch of things, or it would be a great day to take a nap, right? Uh, write this down, my best requires rest. And you're not wasting time when you're resting, in fact, you're obeying God, and many times you're actually multiplying your time, right? Because God can do more than you can do, right? You think, well, if I take this time to rest, then the world, my world's going to fall apart, and when you obey God's command, he has a way of pouring out his favor on you. Um, your calling is mission. Just a few verses about your calling. Um, this is God's word. You're the salt of the earth. But the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by man. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. But rather a lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and, and glorify your Father in heaven. And Jesus came near and he said to them, All authority has been given to me 
in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Philippians 2, 14 and 16. Maybe 14 is, could be a good memory verse for some of us, right? Do everything. But what is everything? Does everything mean everything? What if I'm tired? What if they're annoying? Do everything without complaining and arguing. Why? So that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and depraved, complaining, whining, grumpy, arguing, negative people. Hold firmly to the word of life. You see, as a Jesus follower, you have a calling to, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. You have a calling to do your good deeds so God is glorified. You have a calling to to live your lives, to bring him glory. You have a calling to, to make disciples. You have a calling to do the good things that God planned in advance for you to do. You have a calling to live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Listen, maybe we we all, every Jesus follow this room, have this same calling. Turn to the person to your right and left and tell them, you have a calling. You have a calling. And, and, and I think sometimes, if we're honest, it's kind of hard to see if there even is a connection between our work, what we do during the week, and our personal calling from God. It can be difficult to see that. And I want to share a story about a guy who found himself more than once working at a place and, and being in a position that from a human standpoint looked totally disconnected from God's call on his life. His name is Joseph, and the story begins in Genesis chapter 37. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture, and I'm okay with that. If you're not okay with that, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> because scripture is God's word, and and I just lean in, right? It's alive and active. And he, he may breathe something to you in the next few minutes that's not even connected to my sermon. But it's what God wants you to hear. You, you follow? This is the account of Jacob and his family. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought a bad report about them to their father. Okay. Wise plural, not good. Uh, telling on your older and bigger brothers, not very smart. All right? Now, now Israel, that would be Jacob, loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And, and he made a robe of many colors for him. Uh, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and that's not good, right? Not a good thing. But when you read the Bible, you know what you find out? You find out that God uses messed up people. 
And that's good news for everybody in this room. <laughs> right? That's all God has to work with. He used imperfect people to work his perfect plan. When his brother saw that their father loved him more than all the others, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. And Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaves stood up and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him, are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of the dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. This time the sun, moon, and stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers, but his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this you had? He said, are your mother and brothers and I going to bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. You see, Jacob had had some encounters with God himself. He's like, hey, man, I don't know. Let me throw this away. There may be something to it. And as Genesis chapter 37 concludes, Jacob sends Joseph to go out and check on the brothers who hated him. They see him like, oh, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. And then they have some discussion and decide, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave to these Ishmaelites who are on their way to Egypt. And then what they do is they, they take his pretty coat. They put some blood on it. They bring it back to dad. And their dad assumes, oh, my gosh, some animal has killed my son. And in Genesis 39, beginning at verse 1, now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, an Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, or the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. Now, working as a slave, not exactly a career move for him. And listen, being a slave of a pagan Egyptian probably seemed pretty disconnected from his calling. We read, the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From that time, from the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. <laughs> The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Am I going to Outback tonight, right? Or am I going to go to Bonefish? Where am I going to eat? Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And someone, I can tell you, that could be a curse that some of us have to bear, right? <laughs> but not me, right? And because he was well-built and handsome, he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. In fact, she wanted him to sleep with her, and she made it very clear to her that was her intentions. His response, no one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife, so how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? So he says no to her advances because of the trust that Potiphar had in him, and because of his love for and devotion to God. 
However, she just wouldn't give up. And, 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 and one day she was coming on so strong that, that Joseph ran out as fast as he could. And, and he left his coat behind. By the way, that's the best defense against sexual temptation. Run! Right? You run. You run fast. You run as fast as you can. You don't look around. You just keep going. You don't debate with sexual sin. You run. Well, you know the saying, hell hath no fury, like a what? Like a woman scorned. She was rejected by this Hebrew slave. So she takes the coat and tells her husband that the slave that is in the house tried to assault her. And so Joseph is thrown into prison. Again, hard to connect that to his calling. And Scripture makes a note of telling us that the prison he was thrown into was the same prison where prisoners of the king were kept. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. Nuts! The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything that he did successful. And once again, he, he rises to the top. And while in this prison, he meets a couple of guys that had recently lost their job and got thrown into prison. He met a baker and a, and, and, and a cupbearer. And he became friends with them. And, and one time, he, they're going, he's going to a meal, and he looks at them, and they look really discouraged and depressed. And he asked them what's wrong, and they said, hey, you know, we both had these dreams and we had no one to interpret them. I love this. And Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. If they belong to God, and I belong to God, let's go. And so he interprets our dreams. He says, come there. Bro, I got good news. Man, I got good news for you in three days. You're going to be restored back to your position of promise. The baker's like, man, sweet. What you got for me? He goes, well, baker. <laughs> Sorry to tell you, but in three days, the pharaoh is going to cut off your head. And three days later, everything happened as Joseph had said. And Joseph did tell the cupbearer, hey, when you get your position back, don't forget about me. Guess what he did? Forgot about me. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream, and no one can interpret it. And the cupbearer's like, wait a second. There's this dude that I met in prison, and he can interpret dreams. And Joseph was quickly brought before the Pharaoh. And we read, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Love it. I, I, love, the, I love the humility. I, I love the faithfulness. No, I, I can't do it. But God can do it. And so Joseph tells the Pharaoh, here's what your dream means. It means Egypt's going to experience seven years of great abundance, followed by seven years of, of a terrible famine. So what you need to do is you need to store up grain during the years of abundance. You need to store up one-fifth of all the grain during those abundant years. That we have plenty of grain during the famine. And then you need to find someone who's wise and discerning to oversee the entire project. The Pharaoh was pleased. 
with his proposal, and all the servants were pleased as well. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as intelligent as wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I'm placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments, and placed a gold chain around his neck. He needed some bling, right? You're going to be in charge. you got to have some bling hanging around. He had Joseph ride in his second chariot. The servants called out before him, A prayer! Which means bow down. So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but no one will be able to raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission. And from a slave to a, to a prisoner to second all of Egypt. Talk about a job promotion. Talk about the ways that our sovereign God can and does move, even when we think he's not. And Joseph was 30 years old at the time. And I love this little side note here in Genesis 41. 51 52. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, meaning God made me forget all my hardships in my father's house. The second son he named Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Sometimes he does that, doesn't he? Sometimes it's in those hard and dark times, right? In those moments of affliction that God makes us fruitful. And so there's seven years of great abundance and seven years of a famine, which leads to Jacob sending his sons to Egypt to get food. And so they arrive in Egypt, Genesis 42, 6 and 7. Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all his people. His brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. This was about 22 years after he had told them his dream. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where'd you come from? He asked. The land of Canaan to buy food, they replied. And then for the next couple of chapters, Joseph, he does these tests, you can read them, but basically he just wants to find out, hey, have their hearts changed? Are these guys different than they were when they sold me as a slave? And to his delight, he discovers that indeed their heart has changed. And in Genesis 43, they stand before him once again. And we read this powerful and emotional encounter. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. And he wept so loudly the Egyptians heard him. And also Pharaoh's household heard him. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer because they were terrified in his presence. Yeah, I bet they were. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please, come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And I paused for a while, I would say for a long while, probably. And now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land these last two years has been severe. There will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of the entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me without delay. What a powerful story of, of God's sovereignty. And, and, and when I read it recently, in fact, just this past Tuesday, the faith comes from hearing. And the crazy thing is, right before I read it, I was journaling and just reflecting and talking to God um, about and, and pouring out my heart and to God about his call on my life, trying to totally still understand it, you know. And, and, and then I began reading this. And, and, and I wrote in my journal, you know, no matter where you are, you're called by God. It, it may be in a prison. It, it may be as a slave. It may be as second over all of Egypt. But wherever you are, you are called by God. And, and the thing about Joseph that, that I'm not good at is he didn't let the difficult times cause him to forget his call. Yeah. He knew he had a call when things were good, but he also knew he was called by God when things were, were not going so good. See, if he was not in prison, he would never have met the cupbearer. And if he was a whining punk in prison, right, he would have cared less about the cupbearer and the baker when they were downcast. I understand if you're a Jesus follower, God has your call, God has a call on your life. And that call is not about where you are, it's about whose you are. Not about where you are, it's about whose you are. And you are, as we say, right, a child of God. And, and here's how, how, how I want to I take this home. So that we can maximize that connection between your work and your calling. And to make that happen, we all like Joseph, we need to be nicer. Be nicer. Turn to the person to your right and left and tell them, be nicer. Be nicer. Okay? And, and be nicer. And that's just an acrostic of a word. The N stands for no compromising. You want to be effective at work for God, for His glory, you're calling no compromising. And I'm not talking about being rigid or inflexible about the way you're doing your job. <laughs> well, I'm going to do it this way. No. I'm not talking about being secure in your faith, yet at the same time, find a way I can be secure in my faith and work in a way that pleases my boss at the same time. And Joseph, whether he was a slave in prison, whether he was facing the advances of Potiphar's wife, you know, he... He wasn't going to compromise, right? I'm not going to compromise what I believe is right in the eyes of God. I will not compromise. And here's a here's a prayer to pop up in just a second. Okay? Let's pray this prayer together out loud. Lord, 
Here's, here's a prayer. One, two, three. Lord, I know that you love me so much that you gave your only son to die for me. Lord, help me to see my co-workers and classmates with your eyes and to show them compassion. Especially when I get too busy or don't feel like caring. Thank you for your unstoppable love and compassion for me. Be nicer. The E stands for excellence in work. And that was the common thread, right? Joseph's story. I mean, he, he, he didn't rise to the top because he was a slugger, right? Everywhere he went, he rose to the top because he did his best. He did his best every single place he was at. He pursued excellence. And God has told us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. I don't want to. I like the job. It's idiots then. That's working for the Lord, not for human masters. But it's hard and it's difficult. I, I sometimes don't get appreciated. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. Be nicer. And I think that verse is pretty clear, right? Do your best. And also think that not a lot of people do their best. You know, my experience has been in life, in the, when I was in the workforce for many years before I left the Navy and then worked in restaurants, it, is that if you just do your job and show up, people think you're awesome. <laughs> you know, like, like you're at the top. Oh, you never show up and do your job. Because most people don't show up or they're there, they ride the clock, right? You know, they, they cut corners, they, they, they can't be trusted. You know, where are they at? I don't know. Oh, they're out on another break. And even sometimes Christians don't do their best. See, see I think we fill an application. If someone finds out we're a Christian, they say, man, I gotta hire you. You're a Christian. Nah. You may not have the skills, but you got the you got the work ethic. I want you. Rather than, oh man, we've hired Christians before. And they haven't worked out so well. See, it doesn't matter what your job is. No job is too low. No job is too high to escape this instruction. We've got to do our best. What we do, we please God and we, we bring glory to God. And we make God look good. Almost like if you're going to be a terrible worker, keep your faith a secret almost, right? Like, if you're not going to tip at a restaurant later today, don't go. Or, or don't tell them you went to church. You're telling them you're a pagan or something. Right? You know, then they won't like pagans anymore and stop hating on us for being such lousy tippers at restaurants. As I'm five years at a restaurant, okay, I'm sorry. I'm still carrying that with me. And for some of us, giving our best is easy, right? We like our job. We're good at it. The atmosphere is enjoyable. Others, it's kind of hard because we don't really like our job. Maybe we're not good at our job. We don't like the people who are at our job. But regardless, while we're there, the Bible's instruction remains the same, to do our best as if working for the Lord. Here's a prayer. I'll read it. You can just follow along. Lord, I long to do my best for you. I know that my true reward lies in heaven and that I'm here as your representative, no matter where I find myself. Help me to do my best in every situation that I find myself to your glory. Amen. Be nicer. Don't make a difference. The R stands for responsible to others. You see, whatever position Joseph found himself in, he realized that he was responsible to other people. 
He felt responsible for Potiphar's household. He felt responsible for the guys who were in prison. He felt responsible for all of Egypt. He felt responsible for his family. Not only to care for them, but to represent God to them so that they could be saved. We read in Genesis chapter 50, 20 and 21. You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I provide for you and your children. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God has placed you at your workplace for a specific reason. Maybe it's to develop your character, your talent, or prepare you for your next assignment. But listen, I know one reason that you're there is because God needs a light there. A light that will show good deeds and draw people to him. Because the deal, the truth is, right? Uh, a lot of people in our, our culture, they will never go to church on a Sunday. Yeah, that's when you go to the lake. Go to the beach, wash your car, clean the house, sleep in. And most people who don't go to church today in our culture think the church is boring, uptight, judgmental, intolerant, and irrelevant. And yet God loves them. So, so how is the message of God's love and compassion going to reach people who will never walk through the doors of the church? God has a plan. It's a good plan. Because 40 plus hours every week or more. He has his people, people who know him, who love him, been blessed by him, who care about him, who received his mercy and grace, been taught about him. He has them going out into the world, working with them, riding the bus with them, sitting in classrooms with them, teaching them. And listen, when we, his people, are nicer, no compromise. Integrity. We have compassion. We do excellent our work. And we realize we have a responsibility not just to collect a paycheck, but more importantly, to represent God and bring people to salvation. See, you are a missionary, right? Yeah. I work in headquarters most of the time, you know? You guys are the front lines. When you go to work, you're the front lines. When you go to school, you're the front lines. You're rubbing shoulders with lost people all the time. And when you realize the fact that you are a missionary, and, get, and the cool thing is, you don't have to raise support. Isn't that crazy? You guys at NJIC, the government is paying you to be a missionary there. That is so awesome, right? You don't have to go out and raise support, a bunch of churches. You're being paid already by them to be a missionary to them. And when you embrace that truth, when you're nicer, amazing things can happen. I mean, look what happened in the life of Joseph. So my challenge to all of us this week is to go to work, to go to school, and be nicer. And then see what happens. Amen? Amen. You know, speaking of nice this nice is not even a good enough word, but I don't know about the nicest thing. Well, I do know about the nicest thing ever done for you. <laughs> it is the nicest thing ever done for me. When, when God and the person Jesus put on human flesh, walked this earth, and then one day allowed himself to be arrested, 
allowed himself to be betrayed, allowed himself to be beaten, and, and like, like, like I say, you know, when you cut him, he bled. When you hit him, it hurt. But he did it for his immense love for us and, and to make him grow. You know, we do it every week, lest we ever forget the great sacrifice of Jesus, the best love that he has for us, and the thing that gives us our entire hope is that Jesus loved us enough that he died on the cross for our sins. And so we're going to sing a song, we take communion. And the way we do it here, we go off to the sides and, and, and you'll, you'll find communion trays and you know, there's a small cracker in the bottom cup and that represents his broken body. And I just encourage you to think about that broken body today because no one's going to ever do anything nicer for you. And, and think about that cup that represents his blood. That's how much he loves you. And he knows you're messed up, right? <laughs> you know, that's the crazy thing about God. He knows everything about you. The good, the bad, the ugly, the stuff, the stuff that you try to hide from everybody else. He knows that. And he still died and is dying to spend eternity with you. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we love you. And God, we thank you for your word and your truth. God, I pray that you will help us at work and at school to, to be nicer. Lord, to, to be your light like you want us to be. Lord, to seize the opportunity. God, just with the people in this room right now, hundreds, perhaps thousands of interactions will happen with lost and hurting people who need to know the love of Christ, who need to know that their brokenness can be healed, who need to know that their lives can be put back together again, who need to know that they can have a hope that is living and will never go away. And Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. And we thank you, Jesus, that this world is tough and it's difficult. And, and many times, Lord, we face things that cause us to be fearful. Maybe we're fearful to be that light at work. We're fearful to be that light in the workplace. But Father, as we're about to sing, you know, fear doesn't stand a chance when we're standing in your love. Jesus' name, amen.